over the last several weeks here at AVCC, we, we've looked at the path that, that Jesus took in coming to the earth that he had created. Uh, in John, the first chapter, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. This was talking of Christ. And then it says that the Creator of all things came to earth. The Word became flesh. That's John 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then we looked at how He came. We, we talked of the miracle of the virgin birth in Matthew 1, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then we were reminded of the, the great spiritual warfare that had taken place during the incarnation, and, and we know throughout the life of Christ here on earth, at his birth, we read uh, Revelation 12, verse 4. And his tail, and who's the his? Well, this is the dragon. This is Satan. It says, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven. Who is that talking about? That's talking about the angelic beings that were in heaven. Satan took a third of them and brought them to earth with him, trying to overthrow the throne of God. It says, he... His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth. Who is this? This is Mary. Who is she getting ready to give birth to? Well, Jesus Christ. And what's the dragon doing? The dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to do what? To devour her child as soon as it was born. Satan trying to destroy the Christ before he could even be born. So the spiritual warfare that was going on, but we know that, that uh, Satan failed, but we know also that the wicked King Herod, as we, we read about when we looked at the wise men's story, made an attempt uh, with the information that he had received from the wise men to find the Christ and to kill him, but his plot did not work. So what did he do? Probably one of the most heinous and wicked crimes of of, of, of all, had all the little baby boys, the two years old and under, put to death in, in not just Bethlehem, but it said in all the districts. Can you imagine the slaughter of innocent baby boys that took place at that time? Now, we know that before this could happen, though, that God had spoken to Joseph once again in a dream and told him to leave and go to Egypt and to wait there until he gave him further instruction. And we know he stayed there in Egypt as to fulfill prophecy. And he stayed there until such time that Herod died, and then God spoke to Joseph in a dream, directing him to the region of Galilee, where they would dwell in the city of Nazareth. And this is kind of where we left off last week with Luke 2, verse 51 and 52. Then he, Jesus, came down with them, his parents, Mary and Joseph, and came to Nazareth and was subject to them, subject to his parents. That means he listened to them. He obeyed them. He did as they had asked of him and were teaching him according to the ways of, of God. 
But his mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and in men. Until such time, I, I believe we said this last week, until such time when John the Baptist was, was there baptizing people and he looked and he saw his cousin walking down the side of the, the river bank and declared, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the Word became flesh in a stable, in a manger in Bethlehem. The Word died upon a cross just outside of Jerusalem on a hill called Golgotha. And I'm sure at that time that that Satan thought that he had finally succeeded in killing Jesus. He couldn't kill the lineage. We talked about that, of how the lineage of, of Christ was in danger many times to the point to where there was only one, Josiah, only one, a seven-year-old that was made king, the only one that was still left for the lineage of Christ. And so always, always about trying to kill the lineage of Christ, to kill Christ. And I believe he finally thought he had accomplished that at the cross. But we know the lyric of that one song we sing, but death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him from rising again. And that's it. Christ overcame death for us so that we, through His resurrection power, might live as well, so that He might let us know that through Him we shall live. Even though this body may die, in Christ we shall live again and be with Him. And so that brings us now, there's, there's your introduction. So now we're going to get down to the, to, to the main part. Galatians 6, verse 14. Because know this, that, that every aspect of the of Christ is important to us. From being the Creator, from Emmanuel, God with us, to the cross, to the resurrection, every aspect of it is important to the child of God. But today we're going to focus again upon the cross of Christ in Galatians six fourteen, And in all the scriptures I'm reading today will be New King James Version. But God forbid that I should boast... King James Version says glory, that I should glory, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, I, I pray that by the truth of your word and by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would come and, and overwhelm us, Father, that we might know you more, that we might know more of who we are in Christ, and Father, as always, should there be one who is still lost in their sin, I, I pray that you perform a miracle that only you can do in saving a soul. So, Father, help us to be attentive. Help us to listen. And, Lord, help us to grow and learn. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, why should all of our boasting and rejoicing be in the cross of Christ? Well, because it was on the cross that Jesus became the perfect sacrifice for sin. His blood was shed that we might have remission of sins in Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. He, Christ, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom 
of the son of his love. You know, we sang that lyric earlier talking about that very thing. How he overcame our darkness with his light. And that's what Paul is talking about here in Colossians. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption. How? How is our redemption? Through His blood, through His sacrifice, the forgiveness of sin. And if we go to verses 19 through 22, For it pleased the Father that in Him, that in Christ, all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you, listen, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. That's why Christ came. Did, did, did you get that? So that we might be at peace because we were all before Christ, once enemies, enemies of the cross, enemies of Christ, enemies of God. But through the blood of Jesus, for all those who believe, we're no longer enemies, but we're children. We're, we're, we're joint heirs with Christ. Let's go to Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14. And you, and this, this was all of us, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Child of God, aren't you thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ? I, I love that because we sing, We didn't sing the old song this morning, but uh, can, you, can you find verse 3 of the old hymn, It Is Well? I love that because it, it goes with what we just read there in Colossians 2. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, aren't you thankful, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And we know because of what Christ has done, it is well with our soul. It is well with our soul. For the true believer, our sins are covered by the blood of Christ. It's as though our sins were nailed to the cross of Christ. And Paul knew the great importance of the work of the cross. Because apart from the death of Christ, sinners get nothing but judgment. Apart from the cross of Christ, there is only condemnation. But in Christ, for the born-again believer, our salvation, our righteousness, our acceptance before God is owing to the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's why Paul said, God forbid that I should glory, that I should boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we might understand the depths of what Paul was saying. All our boasting, all our rejoicing, should flow from the source of the cross of Jesus Christ because it was there <laughs> that all our blessings were purchased. 
at a tremendous cost. <laughs> Have you ever really stopped to consider that, child of God? What was the cost to pay the penalty for your sin? Think about that. It took the death of God's only begotten Son. That's the only thing that can pay the cost for your sin. And Jesus willingly went to the cross to pay it. And there is no salvation in any other than Jesus Christ. There is no other way to God the Father, to heaven, except through Jesus Christ. Amen? There are many religions, there's many cults, there's many things out there today that they'll say, oh, there's many ways to God. No, they're liars. Plain and simple, there is only one way to Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Peter said this in Acts 4, verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other way than through Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone, through Him. We are sinners by nature, children of wrath, apart from Christ, we were far from the covenant of the promise, but we who believe have been brought near to God. Let, let's read that in Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 13. Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the, what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ. And again, I'll just remind everyone in here that it's either you still now or if you're born again, it was what you used to be. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But I'll look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were, a, were far off and were brought near, Brought near to God. How? How? What's it say? By the what? Say it with me. The blood of Christ. That's how we were brought near. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 and 2. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And if we would go and we would look at the teaching and the preaching of Paul, what was his message? What did he preach? Well, let's go to 1 Corinthians 1, verses 21 through 20, 24. 1 Corinthians 1, 21 through 24. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. So what is worldly wisdom? Is it, is it a value? Oh, it's of some value, yes. But is, is it of eternal value? No, no. But the wisdom from God is. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached, listen to this, to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. 
But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. <laughs> Child of God, aren't you thankful that, that one day he shone light into darkness and then the truth of God's word, it became the power of God unto salvation for you. And we sang that little song a little earlier. I love that lyric. It says, born of the Spirit, now I can see. Before the, before the Spirit came, we couldn't see. We, we couldn't understand. It, it, what does it say? It says a, a stumbling block to the Jews. See, they did not receive Jesus Christ as Messiah. And it's still a stumbling block today, isn't it? They have yet to receive Christ as Messiah. To, to the Greeks, foolishness. To those who are seeking after the wisdom of the world, all, the, all of that Bible stuff, that's nothing but foolishness. 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul, Paul put it very distinctly. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are, look at that word, to those who are what? Perishing. What's that mean? Going to hell. That's what that means. Well, that's nothing but foolishness. Well, that tells you right now what their destination is. If the message of the cross is foolishness to them. And what should that do for us? That should cause us to have great compassion for those who would say such a thing. That, that should cause us to, to pray for them. That should cause us to show them the truth of God's Word because they are perishing without the message of the cross. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 14, But the natural man, the man that's lost, the unsaved man, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Until you're born of the Spirit, until you receive Christ, forgiveness of sins and believing, it's all foolishness. It's all foolishness. Romans 8, verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. Because they're yet lost. There's no spirit within. And Paul said this in Romans 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is, oh, don't you love this? <laughs> the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation. And here it comes again. For everyone who does what? Believe. For everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of the cross, is the power of God to salvation. It is the power to save. And who does God save? Well, we, we, we looked at we read it in 1 Corinthians 1.21. Let's look at it again. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. I have to ask the question Sunday after Sunday because I read these verses and, and, and I must ask, do you believe? Do you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? In John 3, verses 14 through 18, I know we read this so often, but it should be burned into your brains and you know this. It should be to that point where if you come across somebody that's lost and you're trying to talk to them about Jesus Christ and about whether they believe or not, maybe you can at least recite part of these verses. It says, and, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Lifted up on the cross. Because we know without the cross, 
without Jesus Christ giving himself that sacrifice for sin, we have no salvation. We have no hope. We're yet in our sins with no hope of forgiveness because the sacrifice would not have been made. So must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why? That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. Oh, but listen to this. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, how important is that little question, do you believe? It, it, it has eternal consequences, doesn't it? It does. It does. Jesus did not come... God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. The world was already condemned, wasn't it? We were all condemned. We were all without Christ. We were all without forgiveness. The world was already condemned. Jesus Christ came to save those who would believe. Romans 10, verses 9 through 13, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be what? Say it, saved. Saved from what? Saved? Saved from what? Well, saved from wrath. Saved from the wrath of God that one day that will one day come upon all believers. Verse 10, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved amen yes amen for those who believe the message of the cross it becomes for them the power of god unto salvation but for those who do not believe let's read verse uh, 36 in john 3 john 3 verse 36 listen to this he who believes in the son has everlasting life and he who does not believe the son shall not see life but look at this look at this but the wrath of god abides on him Christ died for our sins on the cross to take upon himself the penalty for sin to take upon himself the wrath of God to secure for us eternal life for all who would believe think about this now wrath for the unbeliever but blood-bought mercy for the believer only two choices in this world, and we live in a crazy time, don't we? With all this gender this and gender that and got to get the right pronoun, this or that. It, it can all be boiled down. There's only two kinds of people in this world. A believer and an unbeliever. Take it down to that. Because that is all that truly matters. Can I get an amen to that? The only thing that matters, are you a believer or an unbeliever? Are you in Christ or not in Christ? That's what it comes down to. That's the eternal question that we should be asking wrath for the unbeliever but blood-bought mercy for the believer in romans 5 verses 8 and 9 don't you love this but god demonstrates his own love toward us put yourself in the verse his own love toward me child of god put yourself there and that while i was still a sinner christ died for me i know i'm paraphrasing here 
much more than having now been justified by his blood, I shall be saved from wrath through him. See, every child of God, that, that's, that's a hallelujah verse right there. Saved from wrath because of what he has done for me. So may we never forget what has happened on the cross is that Jesus Christ made Jesus to be sin. Christ bore our sin upon the cross. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. Who himself, talking of Jesus himself, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, on the cross. Why? That we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Healed from a condition of sin. This is talking of spiritual healing, not physical healing here. Christ died on the cross that we might be saved and forgiven, that we might be in Christ, in Christ. And we know what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21. Are you in Christ? Are you a new creation? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. You won't be the same. If, if, you, if you said some nice little prayer that somebody asked you to pray, if you signed a card, if you did something and it was only an exterior thing and there was no change of heart, there was nothing inside, you're going to walk away from that event the same creation you were. But if, but if you receive forgiveness for sin, if you receive Christ as Lord and Savior, you're a new creation and you will not be the same. You cannot be the same. You cannot keep living in sin. You cannot keep doing those same things. Am I saying you'll be perfect? No, I'm not saying that. Because there was only one perfect, and that was Jesus Christ. But I will say we will have a different heart's desire. Oh, we will grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, and there may take a little time to get rid of some baggage, but we're going to start getting rid of stuff pretty quick. Because we're a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Well, praise the Lord. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And I know just a piece of, of what Paul is talking about there because I believe God has called me into the ministry. Called me to, to be here and, and to, to say, flee the wrath that is to come. Be reconciled to God. That means to be at peace with God, and that only comes through Jesus Christ and the work of the cross, only through Him. Our sins imputed to Christ, He took our sin and gave us His righteousness. Think about that exchange. He took my sin upon Himself on the cross, and in return, uh, you know, the great exchange and gave to me forgiveness and righteousness. And for every born-again believer, we have been clothed in a, right, a robe of righteousness, not of our own, not of our own doing, not of anything good that we have done, not of anything that we have earned, but only through the grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Romans 4, verses 20 through 25. 
Romans 4, verse 20 through 25. And the he, he did not waver. That was, this is, I kind of left out an awful lot there. You can go back and read this later, but this, this is talking of Abraham. And it says, Abraham, it was Abraham, he did not waver at the promise of God. What was the promise? That you're going to have a child. You're going to have a child. And, and he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he, what God had promised, he, God, was able to perform. Now I'm going to stop and ask you, do you believe that? that? That everything that God has promised in this book, in his word, he is able to perform. Do you believe it? I pray that you do, and I pray that you hold fast to it. So Abraham believed. And what happened? Verse 22, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Oh, but, but wait, he, Christ hadn't died on the cross yet. It was looking forward to what was to come. Were people saved in the Old Testament? Of course they were. But it's through belief. They believed God. And Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Verse 23, Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. We have the example of Abraham's that we could go back in the Old Testament and look at it. It was written for us. Also, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him. The righteousness of Christ imputed to us who believe. Who raised to believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Who was delivered up because of our offenses. Why did he have to go to the cross? On account of sin. Who were sinners? All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. All of us. He was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. We're not going to get into this in great detail today, but is the resurrection important? Oh, yes. Because if He is not risen, we have a dead Savior. And if we have a dead Savior, then where's our hope? See, the resurrection is all the aspects of Jesus Christ so important. This is why we glory in the cross of Christ. For it was, what, it was there that Jesus Christ redeemed us by His blood. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to close uh, before we get into communion with a, a quote from uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And, and uh, I read him... I, I can recommend him. I'm not saying I'm, I, I'm stand side by side with him and everything that he said, but he wrote a, a book called The Cross that some of us here have read. And here's a quote from that book as we've been talking about the cross, and he says this all so well. So listen. Why? Why glory in the cross? Because it is by that the world is crucified to me and I to the world. It is the means of my salvation it is the very way in which I am saved. Our Lord dying on that cross is the very thing that saves us. If He had not died upon the cross, nobody would ever have been saved. There would be no gospel to preach. It is the saving event. It is the act whereby our salvation is, complete, is accomplished. That is why the Apostle Paul glories in it. That is why Isaac Watts says, When I survey the wondrous cross... It is the thing that saves us and without which we would not be saved at all. Why is the cross the saving event? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus Christ came to this earth to become the perfect, 
unblemished by sin's sacrificial lamb. John the Baptist had only one sermon, and he kept on repenting, and he kept on repeating it, and it was this, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. All of the sacrificed lambs of the Old Testament were but types and shadows of the perfect lamb that was yet to come. God provided for himself this perfect lamb in his own son. This is what happened on Calvary's tree. God took your sins and mine, and he put them on the head of his son, and he smote him. He punished him. He struck him. He killed him. The wages of sin, the cost of sin, the penalty of sin is death. So what was happening on the cross was that God Himself was laying your sins and mine upon His own dearly beloved Son, and He paid the penalty for our guilt and our transgressions. End quote. I don't know if it could be said any better than what Lloyd-Jones put it. So may we always remember Jesus Christ. May we remember the cross. May we remember His death, burial, and resurrection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give You thanks. (laughs) We give You thanks for the gift of Jesus Christ. We give You thanks that, that You sent Him. We give You thanks that He came and and submitted Himself to Your will to go to the cross so that we, through Him, might be saved, so that we, through Him, might have salvation and redemption through the blood of Christ. So, Father, as we we have all those verses and all those thoughts lingering in our mind, Father, I pray that You would make this communion table very real for us, that, that we could remember Christ that as we would just pick up that little piece of bread, that we might remember Jesus Christ and His body being placed upon that cross. As we would pick up that little cup of juice, that we might remember that Jesus Christ shed His blood so that we might live. So, Father, for every born-again child of God here, let us remember Christ. And, Lord, again, should there be someone listening to this sermon who is yet lost, I pray that you would perform a miracle that only you can do. I pray that you would open the eyes of the blind, the spiritually blind. I pray that you would breathe a spiritual life into that which is spiritually dead. I pray, Father, that you would bring them from death into life, that you would open their eyes, that they may see your glory. And, Lord, when a sinner sees your glory and sees you for the righteous, holy God you are, and they see themselves as a sinner before a holy God, they tremble, Lord. They tremble because at that moment they know, they know what their end will be without Christ. And Father, I pray that you would grant them faith that they may believe. Father, and as they would cry out to you in in repentance, Lord, I, I pray that you would grant them forgiveness. And Father, I pray that you would... Put within them the Holy Spirit, Lord, and help them to live every day, every day, to their fullest for the glory of you, Father. So help us, Lord, in our remembrance today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.